0: I want to just recap on what we spoke about last week because when I woke up on Monday, last Monday, I went into my quiet time and I was reading through that and the Lord really just emphasized an important, some important verses that changed my life and actually freeing me up to think clearly and more clearly about Him. So we're just going to read those two verses we looked at last Sunday. If you follow along with me in your Bibles, First Timothy chapter 6, verse 1. And two, all who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Those who have believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but must serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and preach these principles. Once again, we've seen over and over through this book that God is giving us principles to follow and commands to follow as well. Well, not just to follow, but to do it. And again, I remind you, as we said last week, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So think about this very clearly. You know, take time to think about your position and the people around you and their position. How much do you know of the people that are around, around you every single day? Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 5. And this is the, where I was on Monday morning. And these verses really spoke out to me in business. When I was in the working world and I'm trying to balance everything, So as we had our illustration last week, it's still here, that uh, Julie lent me from Julie's Antiques there to use as an illustration, I think. Thank you, Julie, for that again. And that yoke is used so many times in the Bible by God to illustrate a very important thing. And so as you try and balance out your life, I was thinking about all the things that I'm responsible for, accountable for, what the world tells you you have to do. So look at verses 4 from chapter 5 of Luke. And we're going to read through from 4 through to 11. And listen carefully and watch what takes place here. When he, that is Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. This is a, a man, this is his profession. This is his job. And this, as we go on, you will see, is a business. And when a business wants to expand, like when I wanted to expand, I look for partners to come into it to help expand my business with their investment as well. So this Peter knows, Simon knows exactly about his business. He knows how it works. And he's facing Jesus now, telling him to do something. And he tries in a gentle way to explain that they've already done this. And this is when you catch fish. It's at night, not now. But then, look at the word, but. I will do as you say, and let down the nets. What made him do that? But, I will do it. He heard God speak to him. He heard Jesus speak to him. But I will do it. That's where I developed my saying of just do it when I listen to that inner voice, when I see the Word of God speaking out to me and God telling me to do do something, I've questioned myself, why do I just do it? What is it? And as I reread this this week, I thought, that is the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're allowing the Holy Spirit to work in you, you will do it. Look what Peter did. He said, but I will do it. and, And let down the nets. And then the next verse, when they had done this. You're only going to see what God is going to do in your life when you actually do it. The doors have no windows in them. You have to put your hand on the handle and open the door and go through to see what God's going to do. He instructs you to do something. And majority of the time, you have no understanding. It doesn't make sense. It's challenging you. But if you spend time rationalizing, analyzing what God is instructing you, you won't do it. You have to do exactly what Peter or Simon did here. He did. He let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. Verse 7. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and to help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. So who's in control of your business? Who's in control of your life? Who's in control of what you have or what you're going to receive. Here's Peter, a a fisherman, all his life. He's got partners who are also fishermen all of their life. And what they know and the knowledge that they have about their business has just been superseded by the power of God. By being obedient to God, abundance was given to them for being obedient. They enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break, so that they signaled to their partners in the other boats for them to come and help. And they came and filled both of the boats, and they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John son of Zebedee who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, "Do not fear, from now on you will be catching men." When they brought when they had brought their boats to land, listen to this part here. They left everything and followed him. Isn't they powerful they experienced God working right there in the midst of them, the great provider. And they just left everything and followed him. What does that say to you personally in your walk with God? What is God saying to you when you read something like this? Here's two men. Peter Simon Peter is also married, by the way. So he has a family and yet what God did in the midst of them, the realization of his power and who's in control, changed these men's lives. And it became, and when I realized this many years ago in business, that I thought I made myself successful. I thought by my hard work and how I diligently focused on work and tried to better myself, and the reward was there because of my efforts. No, God gives me exactly what he wants to give me to use. And when I realized that God is the one in control, God is going to provide what I need and for what the people working for me are going to need as well because if I trust Him. My yoke was starting to get a little bit more balanced. I was totally unbalanced with my yoke. Could you change the slide there for me, please? I, didn't, I haven't got the clicker with me. Thanks. So I want you to think about that and as I read that on Monday, I thought I needed to bring this back into the importance. As my yoke there last week, as we were looking at it, as the pastor was called a few weeks ago, as the donkey, and then we looked at it as the ox. It's not going to work. It's not going to balance out. If you change the slide again, thanks. Peter and his partners left everything to follow him. And I started to realize if God is going to control everything, even what I have and what I do, Then what does he want me to do? And it it clearly says in the scripture as he says to Simon, Jesus said to Simon, "Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men." And I started to realize that God was telling me, my focus is not in the right place. What are you doing about catching men? What are you doing about sharing my gospel? What are you doing? What are you doing about sharing about the cross? every minute of the day that we have of daylight time when we're interacting with people, what is your focus on? And when we focus on that, we have got to be so focused on our work and providing and money, success, power. We have no time to share about Jesus Christ. We're busy being busy and the Word of God cannot come out unless we open our mouths and speak it. Show them the Word of God. Show them the the Bible. You may think yourself, sitting here, that you have made yourself successful. You studied hard. You've worked really hard at this, and it pays you back now. But you achieve what God allows you to. Realizing this truth, you will always be in the thanksgiving mode. When I started to realize that everything that's happening in my life is from God, He is blessing me for my efforts. It gave me. I was constantly thanking Him. I started to realize I had a lot more joy in my heart when I actually went to work, focused with the Word of God. I had my Bible on my desk. I had a, my Bible when I went down to the boardroom. I'm looking for opportunities to share Jesus Christ with the, with God's people, with people out there. My focus was there. My joy was lifted up. My hope and dependence was completely on God now because of what the scriptures show here. Look deep into that. Their nets were breaking. And when they loaded the boats, the boats were sinking. Is he not saying, if you're obedient like Simon was, am I not going to just fill your boats? Because you will recognize this indescribable gift. When you surrender to Christ, you put that yoke on with Him. You're walking directly side by side. And you listen to what he's saying like Simon did. He tried to give a little bit of rationalizing there in his thought with, well, Master, we already fished last night. We didn't get anything because I didn't let you get anything. And then I, as Pastor Jake said there when he was praying, rejoice in the Lord always. That's what I have here. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Philippians chapter 4 verse 4. Cast your net there. Serve the Lord wholeheartedly. He will provide. And as the song today, trust Him. Believe in Him. When you're reading the Word of God daily, you are being led by God. He is preparing you to what you're going to face. He is telling you, put your boat out there. Now cast your net. Look around at who God is working with. Look for Zacchaeus up the tree. Jesus is walking in a multitude of people. And he looks up and sees this man up the tree. But going back a bit, what did Jesus do first? He was in prayer in the morning, asking God, what is the plan? What am I to look for? Look around, and you will see this person who is calling out for you to speak to them, to share the gospel. This is totally foreign to leaders, as I said last week, to businessmen, to parents. Who is the provider? The husband? Yes. But he's got to be walking and trusting God. His heart has got to be serving God wholeheartedly. And the wives should realize that and be in prayer with him and also believing that that is the ultimate provider. What is God teaching you? He has called you for an indescribable journey with him. It is absolutely amazing. Look at these verses here. Could you imagine those? Could you imagine those disciples' faces when the nets just kept getting fuller and fuller and fuller? And the panic! Get your boat over here quickly, quickly! Come on! And then that just kept coming and kept coming, and the boats start to go down. And then Peter falls on his knees at the feet of Jesus. He says, "Get away from me! I am such a sinner! I don't deserve that gift. This is indescribable. How do you put words to what you're reading there?" So is your yoke balanced? Are you yoked with Jesus and following his lead and his teaching? The Bible is full of his teachings, his principles, his commands. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 7 and the NIV says, Serve wholeheartedly. Render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord whether slave or free. What does this verse say to you personally? Serve wholeheartedly. Render service as to the Lord and not to men. How are you serving wherever God has you placed? The way you serve, is it actually just making people turn around and look and say to you, what is it about you? Why do you work so hard? Why do you do this? When I saw this verse, in, when I was in 1992, I was in England, and I was so in such a panic with that weather and the cold and the rain, and I couldn't find a, a job inside, and I'd sent out hundreds of interviews. Sorry, resumes, looking for interviews. And one particular time, I was picked up Linda from her work, and we were driving up this road. Traffic was terrible. I had a terrible day at the job that I did have. And I looked up past Linda, and there was this company's, that i had sent my resume to. And I prayed there and there. I said, God, please, why doesn't these people answer resumes? Why don't they just say, sorry, regret? Or we looked at it maybe in a couple of months. Now, just acknowledge they got my letter. Why can't somebody employ me? It took 20 minutes for us to get home. I got home and Linda said, you're so down, I'll take you for pizza and cheer you up tonight. And I said, no, I'm going to have a, a bath. I better stay in my room and I'm not good company right now. I went up to run a bath and the phone rang and I heard Linda go down and answer it and there was this awkward silence and I thought, oh no, something's happened. Someone in the family, we're a long ways from home. So I went downstairs and Linda was holding the phone out and it says, for you. I get a hold of the phone and this man says, hi, I'm Sis Bates of Johnston's Paints, Oldfield Road. About 20 minutes ago, I was sitting in my office, and I found your resume on my desk. And I sat here and looked at it, and I want to tell you right now, I don't have a job for you. I said, okay. And I was silent at this time, too. And he said, are you there? And I said, yes, I am. My hands were shaking. And he said, well, I'm reading through it, but I had to ring you to see, would you stoop so low? Because at the bottom of your resume, you said, I'll do anything as long as I can get out of this weather. I'll wash your empty tins of your company. Would you stoop that low? I said, yes, I would. I can't stand this weather. I want to be inside even after I have to wash your dirty paint tins. And then he was silent. Then he said, you know what? i got to see this for myself. When can you start? I said, I'll be there tomorrow. So he said, okay. Actually, it was Monday. So I went there, and he had all this pile of dirty tins and, I, and a little stool for me to sit on and some thinners and some soapy water and stuff, and said, well, there you go, young man, go for it. So I said, thank you very much. Shook his hand, sat down, and I started to clean tins. And I was content. I was happy where I was with this. Because God honored my prayer there. God opened this door for me. And then I knew, sitting there, watching this man trying to run this company, they have big unions there. So when it's tea time they all all the workers stop and go to the corner and have their tea. They don't care about if any customers come in. That's the boss's problem to figure out. So I'd watch him get up and he's an older man and he would get up to the counter and you'd try and serve all these building contractors and they're all coming at tea time because that's their time off too, get more supplies. So what does it say here? Serve wholeheartedly, render service as to the Lord not to men. I got up and went to help him at the counter and started taking the orders and going to get the tins and loading the trucks. The union guys grabbed me and said, if you do that again, we're going to beat you. Sit down. I said, no, I can't. I've got to serve here wholeheartedly. I'm going to help this man. And I did. I just took these scriptures and said, well, this is what the Lord requires of me. I want to do this so that the Lord is glorified. And within a short time of me constantly doing that, people came the workers came, why do you do this? You're not even getting paid for it. You're the tin cleaner. I said, yeah. But you know what? I love my job. I love what God is doing in the midst of me. The Lord told me to serve wholeheartedly. And they'd stare, look, and then over time while I'm sitting on my tins, they would come over. Can I ask you a question? Do you really believe and trust God? Absolutely. It opens the door to share the gospel. So in this, again, I want to reiterate what I said last week. Let's reestablish the supremacy of God in our church, our home, our government, our country, works, at work and at school. So who is leading you? In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 30, if you could pull that up there. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So who is leading you? If you are yoked, if you've taken Jesus' yoke upon you, you're locked in with him. It's your choice. He's saying, "Take my yoke upon you." So, if you've got, if you're yoked to Jesus Christ, and you're listening, and there, you're walking with Him. Listen to what He has to say. Listen to what He wants to teach you. It's an exciting and indescribable journey if you trust Him and follow Him and believe Him. But you need to be in communication with Him through the Word of God. Turn back with me to one Timothy again, if you will. Chapter 6. And we're going to move on now to verses 3 through 5. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine of conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy, strife, abuse of language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Once again, Paul is back to warning us about false teachers. This is something obviously very, very important. And it's very important For you to know and understand. And he identifies what these people look like. So as a congregation, when you're sitting and talking with one another, you can be alert to know who you're talking with. What kind of people are they? Where is their trust? False teachers is a big concern for Paul. He's warning the church over and over to be alert. Because they are here. They do come in these doors, and they're here to disrupt everything. In Second uh, Timothy chapter two, verses seventeen through eighteen, Paul describes them as, "And their talk will spread like gangrene." If we allow these people in, and the way that they talk, the way that they want to argue about the words, they want to dispute about God's word, this is going to create a spread of like gangrene as a problem for the church. And you can see it today. Why are the churches struggling? Why do the churches not pray anymore? I was thinking this week about prayer again and th- looking at Spurgeon and Moody and George Mueller again. And look at what, how their church grew. What was the biggest strength they had was prayer. Remember the story about people wanting to go and visit D.L. Moody's church to find out why is this church grown so fast? And they walk in the door and here's a man sweeping the floor. And they asked, excuse me, you know, we've come to visit the church and we want to just see and look around and see why this church is so blessed. And he said, oh, good, let me show you around. And he took them to the basement. And there was never less than 500 people, I believe, praying in there. This, he says, is why this church has grown. This is why people are coming to know Jesus Christ. Because people are praying. They're praying because they agree on what it's all about. They want to see people change. They want people to know Christ. They want their nation to be strengthened. But if we have false teachers coming in, they're going to break this. They're going to say, isn't that a bit legalistic? That's a word I learned coming here. Aren't you a bit radical, Wayne? Why are we putting these out here? Because... That just destroys you. It makes you start to think, well, maybe I am. Why should I be so focused on prayer? Maybe i better tap it down a little bit. That's not healthy. It's not good. If God's telling you to get going, get doing something, get involved in the church, in His work, you have to be bold and do it. Those that teach false doctrine teach differently from what the Word of God teaches. Those that do not agree with the sound I put there, I also looked up and saw healthy, it's like a medical term, words of instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ. They come and they will spread their gangrene around. They will start arguing with you. Those that do not consent to godly teaching that leads to godliness, they tend to lean toward a moral decline. Just look at the list that in just those three verses there. Conceited, understanding nothing. Morbid interest in controversial questions. Disputes about words. Have you been around people like that? They want to argue about the Bible. They want to question this. They want to question what's going on. We don't have all the answers of what God is doing. But they want to be arguing. They want to dispute the words. But then when you really get down to the bottom and you ask about their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, what is God doing in your life? Nothing. They bear no fruit. They share the gospel. They don't share the gospel. They have nothing to be thankful for. What are they thankful for? Like the card we have there. There's a time from now until Thanksgiving. It's a something I've learned by coming to America. That you're the only nation in the world that has a Thanksgiving Day that they're thankful for what God has done. I get so excited when we came here. We got invited to people's homes for Thanksgiving. Whew, the food. Wow. Incredible abundance of food and the excitement, the buzz. And I sit around the table and I'm really wanting to learn because I actually did some research on how you developed this Thanksgiving in America. So I'm expecting to see the Americans just elate me with their table. And yet they didn't. I said, oh, aren't we going to share what we're thankful for? What did God do in your life? What did he do last week? What did he do this year? Oh, Yeah, pause. Ask someone else. Let me think about it. Are you serious? You can't just think about it. it. You should be so thankful, so bursting at the sea. because you can't pay God back, but you can share the gospel, which makes Him so happy, and He will fill your nets. He will fill your boats. I'm learning a lot from Sam. Wherever, Sam there he is there about uh, farming. I got told yesterday, I need to get out of here a little bit and learn some more. <laughs> I asked him for some wheat to put on the board there. He said, wheat? Bane, you need to get out of here a little bit. Learn about some farming. I'll give you some corn. <laughs> okay. But you've got to be so excited. So prepare yourself. Start thinking about why, what God has done this year in your life. And write it, put it on the board. Let people see God is alive. He's not dead. He's alive and working and active. We have six candles lit here because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. What His Holy Spirit did through His saints. People came to receive Jesus Christ. I'm so excited. I have a young man here. Stephen Smiler, I call him. He's here visiting a church. Please make him welcome. He's one of our... Men that came to know and understand about Jesus Christ, the Savior. Thanks for coming, Steve. Love it. God is amazing. He is alive, active, and working. But are you alive or are you dead? Get on fire for for the Lord. These other people then, when they start arguing with you and start having these morbid interests and controversial questions, disputing the words of God, all of a sudden it starts to build envy, strife. Abusive language, evil suspicions about them, constant friction. You don't want to be around them, but you do want to identify them if they're in this church, if they're starting to do something, because we need to stop that. There it is. There's the list. Look out for Watch out. Don't get caught up with these people because they're going to destroy your faith. These men are of depraved minds and are really deprived of the truth. We were sharing on Thursday, and as we were sharing and the buzz of questions and stuff, an answer came out, you make it sound so simple. But it is, isn't it? What does Jesus say? Believe. Believe. Why are we making it so complicated for people that are wanting to know the truth? And the truth is simple for them to understand. It is simple. Turn with me to 1 John, chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 5 through 7. 1 John, chapter 1, 5 through 7. Listen to this carefully. It says there, This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And look at this. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Do you remember the picture there with the song they had Jesus crouched over? It made me shiver when I saw that there. When his back's all torn up. He shed his blood for you and I to be alive with him. His spirit abides in you. He wants you to be yoked to him, to walk with him. Let's go to chapter 2 in the same book. We're looking at verses 3 and 6. But this we know, that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he, Jesus, walked. How is your walk with God? What are you claiming? Because if you're walking in the Spirit of God, in the truth, that anybody that comes near you, you're contagious. They want what you have. You have the best gift, the indescribable gift from God. Can we go back to Timothy again? We look at uh, verses 6 and 8. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into this world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. I was thinking about this all week. How do I show content? And this was the best way I could show you contentment. It relaxed my heart and I thought, that's the best way I could show you. Are you content? If you cast your net because you've been obedient to God and He's filled your nets, your harvest is huge, your cattle have increased, your business has multiplied. Are you content? Because if you're content, then are you sharing Jesus Christ? Are you so thankful for what He has done, for your blessings in what you've seen? Trust me, He says. Believe in me. Take my yoke upon you. This will free you up. Don't get caught up in what the world is telling you. You have to, how you have to perform. Be about God's work. Second Corinthians. I'll read this to you for time. It's in chapter nine, verses eight through fifteen. It says, "And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed." As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only for fully supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience, your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of your surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God, for His indescribable gift. As I read that verse over and over this week, I thought, oh, wow. As uh, Chris said, we've put this uh, um, board outside, sanctuary here. We would like you to really fill in that card. There's more cards there over these weeks to prepare your heart and mind and soul so when you get together with family over Thanksgiving, you can really have it right at the tips of your tongue to share what God has done in your life. Share what the Lord has done. What He's doing. What is He doing right now and He hasn't finished? Are you still pulling in that net? He may have said, cast your nets when you started farming here and there. Has He multiplied your herd? Did you get the rain you were asking for? Did you get the new job you were looking for? Have you found new friends? Get great school results? Have you led somebody to Christ because of the Holy Spirit in you? Did you receive a daughter or a son? There's many more, many, many more that you could share. So in closing, I'd like you know, to remind you about Peter and his partners and their fishing business. It's through God's enabling that they were successful that they were blessed. Nothing to do with them. Verse 8 of Second Corinthians says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have abundance for every good work. So I'd like to give you a challenge this morning. From now until Thanksgiving, and, and if you want to continue it afterwards, even better Why don't you look around your community, look around at your neighbors, and how can you share your blessings? How can you share the abundance that God has given you in your community? Reach out to a family, a couple. What can you do to show God's grace, to show mercy, to give? Share your harvest. Show God's grace in the weeks to come leading to thanksgiving. Proverbs 1917 says, One who is gracious to a poor man leads to the Lord, lends to the Lord, sorry, and he will repay him for his good deed. We're not after God's repaying us for what we did for someone else, but look at those words there. Linda read a, a devotion to me here. I want to just quickly share with you. I don't know who this man is, but it says Anthony de Mello saw a starving child shivering in the cold. Angrily, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, God, why don't you do something? God answered, I did. I made you. And you. We're here because Christ's alive in us. Let's get out there and do good. Let's share the ministry. So I'd like to just finish with John chapter 15, verses 13 and 17. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Are you doing what he's commanding you when you're reading through the word of God on your journey? No longer do I call you slaves, for the slaves do not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father... I have made known to you. It's in here how to live your life. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. Are you bearing fruit? Are you sharing the gospel? Is your basket full of fruit? Also in John 15, it talks about bearing fruit, abundant fruit, more fruit. Bear you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. This, is, this I command you, that you love one another. This I command you, that you should love one another. So we need to leave here, not only loving one another right here, which is easy to do because you're all beautiful people, God's people, we love you so much. But there are people out there that are really hard to love. But we have to love them with the unconditional love Jesus Christ has shown us. And that love softens hearts, opens eyes, and you get the most amazing hugs from people. Tell them the truth. Let them free. I'd like the ushers to come up. And as they're coming up, I'd like to just close in a word of prayer. Uh, I wanted to play you a song, but maybe next Sunday I can. From the Billy Graham, uh, My Hope, there's a young lady there called St- uh, Lacey Sturm, and she sings a song called Mercy Tree. And I've been looking for it for we- for months because I- I'd heard bits of it through my training in the Ma- the Matthew, My Hope, but it didn't come out till Thursday. It's out, it's available, so I got it and I listened to it. And it's she's singing the gospel, it's the most amazing song. And I'll play it for you next week, hopefully mercy tree. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, thank you so much that your word uh, always, always sets us free. If we would read it, listen, you make us understand, you give us the wisdom to grow with it. Lord, help us all to be yoked to you, to listen to you as Simon did. Father, we ask that uh, through your blessings, that we would be able to be looking around at our neighbors and our friends, strangers, and be led by your Spirit to share the blessings that you have given us, the abundance that we have, to help those, and to give it with a heart of joy because of what you have done in our lives. But also prepare us, Lord, as we give it, that we are ready to give the reason for the hope that we have, which is our testimony. And to be ready to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, what your Son did on the cross, because through this, they will be saved. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the work that you have done in this nation over these three or four days with the my hope. We pray this doesn't just stop. We pray it continues for week after week that we can keep inviting friends and family in our homes that they would come to knowing the truth about Jesus Christ. Lord, right now we thank you for this opportunity. We, uh, As we collect our tithes and offerings, we pray the blessing upon them, that we would be directed by your Spirit to use them wisely and correctly, that we may glorify your name as we do that, and we keep the church alive until you come again. And thank you, Jesus, for your word and truth. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.